competitive 40K network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hello and welcome to The Art of War. This is episode 100 and we have a special episode today talking about uh, one of our perennial favorites, uh, Death Watch. I'm your host, Tim Penny. Always happy to be here. Uh, With me, I'm joined by my reoccurring co-host, Mr. John Lennon. For all you new listeners who may not know who he is, uh, he he was the number three overall for the ITC 2019 season. Uh, Best Space Marines 2019, so he's well-qualified to uh, help me uh, talk about this list. Uh, Best Tyranids 2017, winner of Crucible 2019, Iron Halo 2020, Dallas Open 2021. I'm pretty sure if he calls in his prize support, uh, several game stores in the state of Florida will have to close down. He's a former teammate and mentor of mine, and most importantly, someone that I'm proud to call a friend. Mr. John Ledden. John, it's always good to be with you. <laughs> always good to be here, Tim. Uh, fortunately, we turn our webcams off so no one can tell whether or not I'm blushing. But uh, I am happy to be here and happy to be talking about Death Watch. All right. And uh, speaking of Death Watch, the man of the hour, we are joined by Mr. Fred Fortman, who uh, recently took down the Charity Hammer uh, Prep GT. Fred, uh, welcome aboard. Ah, thanks to be here, boys. And uh, as you may have noticed uh, by the name Charity Hammer Prep GT, this is a uh, preparatory or feeder GT into a much bigger event. Uh, John, you've been there three times uh, just to add to your list of accomplishments. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're heading into Charity Hammer, which is an event being held by the Best in Faction crew. That's, of course, Colin Sherman, Mitch Pelham, and uh, Chuck Arnett. Uh, Charity Hammer is basically going to be a very long marathon stream from August 5th to August 8th, where there's going to be three separate streams showing off about 200 hours of free, again, 100% free Warhammer content with some of the best players in, in the United States and North America. Uh, this is all for the benefit of a charitable foundation, Child's Play, which is designed to improve the lives of children and teens who are in children's hospitals. I know that's uh, you know a very uh, close and you know close to the heart uh, point for you know a lot of members of the community, uh, including you know both Tim and Colin, who uh, is running the event. Um, as well, you know, I'm going to be there. Uh, Tim's going to be there. As a matter of fact, Fred is going to be there since he uh, won the feeder GT. So it's going to be an absolutely fantastic time. I have uh, had the privilege of being there twice already, and I'm really excited for my third time uh, coming up in just a few short weeks. Again, everything there is absolutely free. Uh, It's all to raise donations. However, we do also give away a ton of not prize support, but raffles for everyone who donates. Basically, for every $30 donated, there's being, you know, armies, box sets. Uh, I, I remember, you know, the last year there was a fully painted army given away. I'm not quite sure if the prize support has been announced yet this year. But it's absolutely worth keeping on your radar. You can watch it, get tons of live content to go back and watch. Again, some great players from around, you know, North America are going to be playing, such as myself, Nick Nanavati, Brad Chester, Alex McDougal, Colin Sherman, Jim Vessel, Jaime Paris. There's a whole list on the website, charityhammer.com. Uh, it's it's an absolutely great thing to put on your calendar and to keep an eye on. All right, well, let's uh, let's transition from that and get right on into the show. Let's talk about Death Watch. First things first, um, Fred. Why don't you just give us a quick rundown of what's in your army list? Uh, the current army list uh, will have a Primaris captain with a storm shield, uh, 
the relic Dominus Aegeus, so give a 5 plus invulnerable save to uh, the units within 6 inches. Uh, he will have the Warlord trait Nowhere to Hide to remove cover from any targets that I want. Also have the Warlord trait Rights of War to give the uh, Dreadnoughts who are coming up later uh, objective secured. We'll have a Primaris Tech Marine who will be the Chief so he can repair the Dreadnoughts. Uh, we'll give him the Relic, the Tome of Ectoclades, to pick a data sheet and say you're not on the table anymore by rerolling all wounds against it. Uh, until my next turn. Uh, the Premier's Tech Marine also has the Brilliant Strategist Warlord trait. Uh, he steals it from the Dark Angels. Uh, I think I have him painted up as a Salamander too, but he's got the Warlord trait from the Dark Angels. Uh, to move a, a unit, a core unit, uh, back down to Devastator Doctrine if my whole army is in the Tactical Doctrine. And the third HQ is a Firstborn Librarian, because I just didn't have the five points to make him a Primaris. Uh, he will have the relic, the Vorkin Pattern Auspicer, to give uh, plus one to hit to units with fly. When I shoot units with fly, he will give them the plus one to hit. Uh, he also has uh, a couple psychic powers that the Death Watch have. Um, one will give a five plus feel no pain to a unit, uh, an infantry unit, and the other one will be, uh, you kind of get three abilities you get, uh, all at once. You overwatch on a five plus, you... Uh, are plus one to hit in combat, which is really what I want it for. Uh, and the third one is you always fight first, which scares people, but they usually just end up uh, charging that unit, picking them to go first. Then there are uh, two Redemptor Dreadnoughts with uh, the Plasma Incinerators, uh, Onslaught Gatling Cannons, and Icarix Rocket Pods with Storm Bolters. There's also two Relic Contemptors, which are in every Space Marine list, that have two Twin Volkites. Then I get down into my uh, four Proteus kill teams. These are the kill, these are the firstborn kill teams. Uh, two of them have uh, five walking veterans with two storm shields and death watch bolters. Uh, there's three chain swords with death watch bolters. Uh, one of them has a bike with a power weapon, four vanguard vets with jump packs, lightning cause storm shields. So they will combat squad all of these Proteus kill teams combat squad. Uh, the other one is five Vanguard Vets with two storm, or two, two storm Shields and a Death Watch Bolter, and then three Chainsword guys with a Death Watch Bolter. They'll Combat Squad, and the other half is one bike with a Power Weapon, another four Vanguard Vets with Jump Packs, Lightning Claws, and Storm Shields. Uh, the third kill team is five Veterans with five Shotguns. Then the, they break into a, uh, a Combat Squad. I have four bikes with Power Weapons, one Vanguard Vet with a Jump Pack, Lightning Claw, Storm Shield, and then... Uh, the last kill team is five vets with shotguns and four bikes with chainswords and one vanguard vet with jump pack, chainsword, and storm shield. It is um, it's a lot of different moving parts. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, obviously, Death Watch don't always follow the traditional uh, Space Marine unit structure since obviously they have those wonderful diverse kill teams. But what it basically sounds like to me is that you've got three good support characters that are chock full of relics and warlord traits to make the army work, four dreadnoughts who are dreadnoughts and are very good at their job. And then you have about 40 veterans split up among, uh, you know, four units of 10 that look like they could uh, combat squad into perhaps eight units of five, uh, so the situation call for it. Absolutely. They will always combat squad into the eight units of five because they have very specific roles. Uh, a single uh, kill team will have five walk walking guys and f I like to say five fast movers, usually a combination of bikes and vanguard vets with jump packs that are moving 12 to 14 inches. Then the five walking vets who are in the same uh, unit, they only move six inches. It's very hard for them to keep up. While a lot of the stratagems and psychic powers 
would be great to work on the full 10-man squad. They're just not staying together. They have very specific roles that they do. Um, the f- that's why they get combat squatted, so they can do their own very specific roles. Why don't you uh, talk us through uh, some of those roles? I know uh, one of the things I think a lot of times people kind of shy away from Death Watch is they're not an army where you look at the book and you're like, okay, uh, the power is apparent, and I'm just going to put this together, and the list is going to play itself. It very much uh, seems very granular, uh, much more than a normal um, Marine Army is, which Marine armies are normally very customizable, and Death Watch seems to take that even further. Uh, almost where you kind of you build the army to match you as a player versus the other way around. So why don't you go ahead and walk us through uh, when you combat squad, I'm like what each role uh, those kill teams do. Well, uh, originally I wanted uh, the kill teams when they combat squad, I wanted to have five veterans with five storm shields uh, and their job is to sit on the home objective. Uh, just where working points, uh, storm shields are five points each in the death watch uh, kill team. And so when I need points from something else, storm shields start to get removed. So they've gone from five storm shields uh, in a combat squatted unit to just two storm shields. But their job is still the same. Their job is to sit back on the home objective. Um, with two storm shields, uh, they just they can't be taken out by nonsense that can deep strike in the backfield. Um, even indirect fire, when you see it nowadays, mostly the Eldar indirect fire is what you'll see. Um, they don't get picked up as fast because of those storm shields. So really, the more storm shields I have, the stronger my home field objective will be because usually they'll get left they'll get left behind by the rest of the army and they'll need to survive uh, on their own. So only something uh, fairly significant uh, could deep strike in and really threaten them. Uh, the chain swords uh, are there because they're free, and I just didn't have any more points for storm shields. But the chain swords make each one of the Death Watch veterans uh, three attacks each before angry charge, before the plus one for being charged. So uh, in a fight, those chainsword guys are all four attacks each, and there's three of them. Uh, so they can put out a lot of damage. And then just the basic Death Watch bolter, which is free for them, is still a significant weapon. Um, you have the option for ammunition, uh, which will increase the range by six inches and add an extra uh, minus one to AP, which is on top of any doctrine bonus that they might have. Uh, you have the option of just plus one to wound a non-vehicle target, uh, which is also uh, something that can surprise people. And plus one damage uh, is another option. You can't take all the options together. You have to pick which one. Um, it's not very many games where the uh, two units that I have of this, the two combat squatted storm shield units, it's not very many uh, games where I have them planned out to really do damage. They're more of a plinking opportunistic damage. Their main job is to hold the backfield objectives. If there's two or if there's just one, one of them is going to hold it and the next one is going to move up to the next closest one or act just act as a poor man's bodyguard for the characters. Uh, then... Um, there's two uh, shotgun teams. Um, originally, originally, um, I'll, I'll be honest. I was uh, put onto the shotguns by the work of uh, Mr. Lennon here and Mr. Harpster from the Art of War. They were very uh, proud of the shotguns. I was able to see a Twitch stream of John in his final matchup against Dark Eldar in the GT that he won with his Death Watch and the work of the shotguns themselves. And I didn't have points for more storm shields, uh, which is what they would have originally been just more durable units that are obsec to hold stuff. So um, if they the, the choices were either chain sword and bolter uh, or shotguns, um, I made them shotguns. Uh, in theory, they could work uh, pretty well against a lot of uh, two wound um, uh, models that I run into because one of their profiles is a two shot 
uh, at 12 inches, two shot strength, four minus one AP, two damage a gun. So that's 10 shots that are two damage each. Um, still working on that because usually things, they don't get where they need to go uh, very often. Uh, another valuable tool that their shotguns can have is a eight inch flamer, um, which is an, all these profiles for the shotguns are assault weapons. So you can move up, advance, and then still uh, use the flamer damage. Um, and then, uh, so those, their general job is midboard. So they'll walk up uh, with the dreadnought castle. Uh, they're kind of the second wave. They'll kind of be in front of the dreadnoughts. Um, they'll be the second wave after the fast movers go in, uh, kind of just cleaning up stragglers. Uh, being a protective netting around the dreadnoughts in case something scary uh, is coming for them, and just reaching out to objectives because they are OPSEC. Uh, so those are the four slow-moving units. So two of them are backfield objective holders, and two of them are midboard holders. And then I've got the four fast movers, which are just different combinations of bikes and uh, jump pack veterans. Um, I've given these guys, as many of them as I can, I've given them power weapons on the bikes, and lightning claws on the vanguard vets. Uh, the reason for this is because originally um, I was concerned about um, custodes uh, with storm shields. And if I just had chain swords, there's a lot of bouncing off the custodes. At least I would offer some sort of threat with uh, all the power swords on the bikes. Um, uh, now it's, uh, I still like the power swords, not necessarily for the custodes matchups anymore. They're fewer and far between, but more for the ADMAC matchups because uh, the ADMAC main uh, ranger blob can ignore AP 1 and 2, and so the power sword is AP 3 and gets right around that. So the four fast movers, um, it's, kind of like, um, it's kind of like an introduction to the infantry keyword because what ends up happening is the units, which they could be four bikes and one vanguard vet or four vanguard vets and one bike. There's two of each. They all have the infantry keyword because they were bought as part of a kill team, even after they combat squad. They will retain the infantry keyword as long as you have a mixture of at least one vanguard vet and one bike in the unit. The unit loses the fly keyword, so the vanguard vets aren't, aren't flying all over the place. They just are really fast-moving infantry. Uh, but the bikes, um, they learn a very valuable trick from the vanguard vets, and that's how to open doors. So the bikes can now go through walls, uh, which they normally can't do because they lose the bike keyword and gain the infantry keyword. So these large bases of bikes are now moving through ruins. They're zooming 14 inches in different directions with large bases to zone things out, to grab objectives from my opponent uh, and make attacks. So the four fast movers, their job is to be the vanguard or the attacking uh, part of the list. So the way the, the list generally works is the four fast movers are going to take up positions uh, forward in my deployment zone uh, as best. Uh, I deploy them as best I can out of line of sight. Uh, so in case I go second, there's now re no retaliation. I also plan their movements ahead of time. So where they can have a, uh, after they move on their first movement phase, they'll have another place to hide if they need to, jumping from terrain piece to terrain piece to get to their position. And mostly their position is their primary job is to take the objectives from the enemy. Their uh, secondary job is to kill units uh, as they do it. Uh, that is an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, what I have found is the four fast movers 
do a very good job of attacking my opponent's primary mission. Uh, this doesn't happen very often with lists. A lot of lists are designed uh, in, with their secondaries in mind, and they just assume the primaries are coming with them. Uh, uh, this list doesn't necessarily do that. It attacks your opponent's primary, um, denying your opponent uh, a lot of points. Um, there's many times in the charity prep uh, GT where I'm holding my opponent to zero primary for the entire game uh, because of those fast movers. They're not going to always survive. I, there's four or five man units. At the end of the game, it's not uncommon for me to have maybe one model out of the fast movers remaining, but they've done their job by holding my opponent's primary down. And if they kill stuff along the way, that's a, a big bonus, which they usually end up doing because there's somebody else on the objective that I want to take from. Um, those are the jobs of the eight kill team. So you've got two slow moving backfields, you've got two mid, four, mid boards, and there are four units of fast movers to attack my opponent's primary. All right. Well, I definitely like the uh, like the wave archetype that you have that you were talking about. Uh, and let's talk about the uh, the dreadnoughts a little bit. Space Marine lists seem to be you know just bringing the dreadnoughts over the place and mis- uh, no mystery. They're really good. Uh, talk to us about um, generally how you use those dreads. Um, especially like mid and late game when things start to get a little bit scrappy, like rounds like four and five, and then just generally the role they fill in your list. So when the Death Watch Codex first came out last winter, uh, last late fall uh, winter, I picked up uh, two twin Volkite Contemptors from Forge World when they were still there because um, I wanted to pair that with the um, the Tome of Ectoclades for re-rolling against the data sheet. Now, I'm not, that's not necessarily a great premonition on my part. It's almost like I fell just backwards into it because my primary opponent, who I played during the lockdown, is a Chicago firefighter. So he was, um, he, he had the vaccine before most everybody else did in the, in the country. Uh, my primary opponent played a lot of uh, Death Guard, and he just repeated the uh, Blight Lord Terminators over and over again. It was either them or Poxwalkers, just millions of them. So I kind of needed uh, I, the Volkites to get rid of the Poxwalkers and the Volkite and the uh, the um, Death Guard Terminators for me. So I got those two right away. And then um, I dabbled one game with a Redemptor, uh, but then went away from it. But once again, it was um, John and, uh, with his Ultramines list, uh, which put the Redemptors front and center, which made me come back to them. And I'll be 100% honest, uh, it is the fear of the Redemptors, which is the biggest power of them right now. Yes, they will do damage. If you roll good weird D6 plasma shots, uh, if you get close enough for all the shots to go off, you know, within 24 inches, uh, they, could, they could do damage. But they're, pop, they're, more, they're so well known right now. Uh, they have a fear into opponents all the time. So what they end up doing more often than not is moving out, uh, exposing themselves with the uh, Primaris Captains, Dominus Aegeus. They have a five plus invulnerable and they drawing fire to them and away from the four fast moving kill teams. Um, It's many times my opponent uh, is hell bent on killing uh, a redemptor or trying to get both redemptors. They're ignoring the bikes and the Vanguard vets, which are just taking primaries left and right. Uh, if 
But to be honest, left to their own devices, they will rack up damage. So they become a mobile fire base, which begins to move up eight inches a turn. Um, if my opponent has um, uh, strong shooting coming back at me, I'll try to use um, the angles as best I can. Um, but they're really, they really are my distraction carnifex, those that are redemptors. The contemptors with the two, with the two twin Volkites, their biggest role is to clear hordes. Um, in the end, Death Watch is, uh, is almost all Marine armies are an elite army uh, to, to a large degree. And they cannot afford to get bogged down with a lot of cheap bodies as they try to fight their way through it. So the contemptors have a much more important role of clearing out the screens and the hordes um, so that the fast movers, because they lose the fly keyword, all those vanguard vets, so the fast movers can get to where they need to go to uh, attack my opponent's objectives. All right, awesome. I love it. Um, I obviously am uh, myself a very big fan of uh, those redemptors. You know, getting that five up invuln in there, uh, I know you mentioned that you have the the chief tech marine, the master of the forge in there to heal three wounds a turn. Uh, I love how you're using them. I love them as a distraction card effects. Um, I, uh, I myself, when I ran the, you know, my own death watch, I had three in the list, but you've gone down to two. And I think that honestly probably works out pretty well for the role that you're using them in because it lets you get even more of those kill teams in there. And, you know, the way you're playing this army, um, which again, I, I just love to hear it. Um, it, it makes perfect sense. So, you know, you've got these dreadnoughts, which no one really wants to ignore them because the penalty is too harsh. So they have to deal with them and, you know, dreadnoughts can be dealt with. I think most armies in the game can kill dreadnoughts, but very few armies kill dreadnoughts and then are looking for leftovers. And I exactly. think that's the really important part. Exactly, exactly. Um, they are just survivable enough with the Damas Aegeus because it's active all the time. You don't need to cast a psychic power um, as you would with Psychic Fortress to normally give them uh, an invulnerable save. And even just a five up uh, can swing the math um, uh, so that someone is not 100% sure they can take him out. And leaving a Redemptor with just a few wounds left that the Primaris Tech Marine starts to heal him back up, uh, he kind of gets shuffled to the side or to the back. There's another Dreadnought that takes his place, so he's not so much of a threat anymore. Um, that the Primaris Tech Marine brings up the three, the two or three wound Redemptor from turn one back up you know, to 10 or 11 uh, by turn four and five, and it's also, at this time, it's moved its way to the center of the board. Um, it, it's it's tough because it's something that has to be dealt with, but it's not necessarily the thing that's a- attacking my opponent's score. Um, it is two is the number I would have. Uh, I don't think I would ever go to three because the value of the kill teams is so high, and that's the only place really I could, you know, shave off enough points to get a, a third redemptor. Um, also here, I live in the Chicagoland area, and our uh, primary uh, TO up here loves to use the WTC terrain, which if uh, anyone is not familiar with it, is extremely heavy with ruins. And there is a lot of tight corners, and it is difficult to maneuver dreadnoughts around that. Uh, the kill teams just blow right through those those walls and doors and get to wherever they need to go. Uh, so at least for my particular meta, um, it's more valuable to have the kill teams than uh, the third redemptor. Yep, that totally uh, makes sense. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about these characters a little bit. I know one of the things is uh, I don't I don't main marines like John uh, does, but I do know from playing them and building lists, 
it is uh, it takes a lot of restraint to build a marine list in the HQ section because they are so customizable, um, and they can also be um, they're not just force multipliers; they can be uh, actual threat assets of their own. And it takes um, a little bit of restraint to not kind of go down the rabbit hole of building in too much support into your list. So, talk us through uh, your characters and how what what characters you took and what you put on them made the cut. Well, for the longest time, I just had two characters. Uh, it was a, a watchmaster who gives free rerolls, uh, full rerolls, I should say. He's like the chapter master for the Death Watch. And uh, the tech marine, who was at the time just there for the two contemptors. This is before the redemptors even made it in. But when the redemptors made it in, I needed to have the Dominus Aegeus so they get the five plus invulnerable, even, on the, even if I don't go first. Um, there was some work with taking a company champion who has a who's the cheapest way to get the Dominus Aegeus relic in. But um, I ended up going with the Primaris captain with the storm shield. Uh, it was going to be a captain with a storm shield. That's the, there was no way around it. And he just happens to be the coolest looking model with a storm shield. This is, if uh, people aren't familiar with it, this is the Primaris captain who's holding the shield up at the top. And he's like got the bones of his buddy sitting right on the front of it. So it, it, it was exciting to paint up, and it looked very, very cool. Um, he he went in there because he needs to protect. Really, he's just there to protect the Redemptors early on, so it's not very easy to kill them. Uh, Dark Lances won't go through them so quickly. It'll slow it down a little bit because he's given a 5-plus invulnerable. Uh, so that's his Dominus Aegeus. And then the Death Watch are blessed with great, not only great relics like the Dominus Aegeus, but also great Warlord traits. They can steal a warlord trait from other unit, from other chapters, or even their own warlord traits are fantastic. Uh, it's very hard uh, to get ignore cover uh, into marines unless you're playing imperial fists. But the warlord trait, the specific death watch warlord trait, nowhere to hide, allows me to remove cover from a unit on the board uh, from the primaris captain. So. Units within my units within six inches of the captain will ignore cover while shooting. Uh, at the unit I designate during my command phase. Uh, that just goes right in with the uh, contemptors whose main guns are AP zero. So I don't want a three plus save to become a two plus save against them, uh, against the main target. And then the rights of war warlord trait, um, it's there, but I think it's a, it's becoming vestigial, which is, uh, it's becoming less useful right now because I've got so much obsec in the list already. Um, I'm not sure if I'd take it out, but I might going forward. But uh, that's on him right now. Uh, the Primaris Tech Marine is there simply because of the uh, the four dreadnoughts. He allows one of them to have, be plus one to hit. He just picks one during the command phase. You're plus one to hit for the until the next turn. Uh, somebody needed to have the Tome of Ectoclades, and that allows me to pick one data sheet to reroll everything against for a turn. And so let's give it to the uh, Primaris Tech Marine. And his also support, the Billion Strategist, allows him to, after... One of the great things about Death Watch is they allow you to pick your doctrine, so you don't have to start in Devastator Doctrine. That's always a big weakness of Marines. They like to take all these heavy weapons, but then you're forced on turn one to go into the Devastator Doctrine. And if you go first, your opponent's hiding, you've just wasted your Devastator Doctrine because you're not going to really get anything out of it. So Brilliant, uh, Death Watch allowed me to pick my doctrine whenever I want, 
So if everybody's hiding on turn one, I'll just pick Assault Doctrine because I've got three of those to use during the course of the game. So after I just waste it on turn one, I'll have two more times later on. Uh, but what the Brilliant Strategist allows me to do is if I pick Tactical Doctrine, which I could pick twice during a five-turn game, then I can pick one unit, and it's almost always going to be a Contemptor, to move back down into the uh, Devastator Doctrine from Tactical Doctrine. And so the Primaris Tech Marine got that. Now those two guys... They got most of the Warlord traits and the relics that the Dreadnoughts need. And they most often spend the time with the Dreadnought. Um, the Librarian was a the most recent thing that I've changed. Um, based off of uh, John and uh, Jack's Death Watch list from the Atlantic City Open, because... Uh, this is this list kind of an amalgamation of my older list with their list. There was a uh, lieutenant in there uh, as the third HQ. However, the Death Watch um, psychic powers are so good, and I, th I, I felt the lieutenant was a little uh, redundant because if I really needed to reroll ones against something that I couldn't be rerolling ones already against to wound. I could always just spend a CP to make either a Contemptor or a Redemptor or a Mini Lieutenant for a turn. So I found some points in Storm Shields and bumped up the uh, Lieutenant, who was the third HQ, into a Librarian, just so I can have access primarily for the 5 plus, plus Field No Pain. Uh, that does a fantastic job when I send my fast movers forward. If one of them is going to be put into a tight situation or a situation where I want them to survive, have the best chance to survive, I'll put the five plus feel no pain on them. And bikes being three wounds, um, all the jump pack veterans having storm shields, it's uh, more often than not, they'll survive the turn where they're going with that five plus feel no pain. And it really throws a, a monkey wrench into my opponent's plans. So that meant a librarian was a necessity. Um, there's a very cool... Death Watch Librarian model already uh, from the uh, the uh, Cassius Kill Team. So I just he's a firstborn, which is fantastic because that's only ninety points. I only had the ninety points for that, so he got thrown in there. And I gave him the Relic Working Pattern Auspicator. Uh, this was also promoted by by John with his Ultra Meme list as a fantastic counter to uh, Dark Eldar. Uh, now that Dark Eldar are uh, not uh, the biggest boogeyman on the planet. Uh, they're just the second biggest boogeyman. I had been thinking maybe I should take it out for something else or maybe just keep a CP. But uh, during the uh, Charity Hammer Prep GT, it became invaluable in round three and four, which we'll talk about later. And so uh, it's going to stay in at least in the foreseeable future. Uh, what's really good, though, about these three uh, support characters is especially late game, they are not necessarily integral uh, to the function of the list late game. Uh, early on, they're, they're uh, important. Uh, early on is when you want to keep the dreads alive. Of course, you want to keep the tech marine alive until you lose the, use the tome of Ectoclades. It's only one use per game. Uh, but then after that, they become somewhat expendable. And I also found that, and this might be a byproduct of, uh, of the promotion that was done with John's Ultramarines list, it, uh, I find that uh, 
My opponents really want them dead. You know, especially later on. It's like almost like they well, they've done all their work. It's like turn four, I don't really need them anymore. But they will really kind of sometimes go out of their way to try to kill one. Um, almost I think sometimes to the detriment of their overall plan. But uh they're fantastic, they're cheap, 105, 190 points, um, which is what we want. We want cheap stuff, and uh they could be expendable in the late game, which is fantastic. All right. Well um that that's kind of all my questions. Uh, John, what do you think? Yeah, I actually uh, did have a couple of questions I wanted to work for. Um, so we've talked a lot about how this uh, list plays on the battlefield, and again, I love it. But uh, I did kind of have some questions about your own scoreboard. You talked about how your plan was to limit your opponent's primary. You know, these Proteus kill teams, they sound absolutely fantastic for that. You've got, you know, Dreadnoughts laying down the firepower, forcing your opponent to, um, uh, you know, to really... Uh, you know, keep their heads down while the kill teams come in, touch those objectives, and make life miserable for the opponent. What what secondaries do you normally find yourself uh, playing with? And then you mentioned, you know, dropping rights of war. What's your game plan usually for holding primaries? So first, the secondaries. What do you normally find yourself taking? So for secondaries, I almost um, always taking uh, raise the banners high um, because of I have basically eight five man units which are all obsec. It is usually more than double the number of OPSEC units, natural, natural OPSEC units that a um, um, regular Marine Army would have. Um, they do a fantastic job of uh, holding objectives, taking objectives, so on and so forth. Um, so raise the banners high uh, because bikes getting the infantry keyword now can raise banners. Uh, so moving 14 inches. It is not too difficult to place them in a position where on turn one, I can move them out to their 14 inches. That's not with an advance. They just move that far. And one bike reaches the objective. He just puts a banner on it right there. Uh, so that's taken a lot. Then it comes down to my opponent's army because Death Watch have a couple of unique secondaries, which are very dependent on your opponent's army. One of them... Um, um, one of them allows you to get a victory point for each Xenos unit that was destroyed. So if it's usually Dark Eldar who take a lot of MSU uh, small units, uh, you can rack up a lot of points against them. There is another Death Watch specific secondary called the Long Vigil, which um, is a tricky one because it says you gain five victory points. If you are have a unit in your deployment zone, then there's no enemy unit within six inches of your deployment zone because that kind of forces your opponent to come to you. Now you need to if my opponent has a slow moving army, um, and it's usually Death Guard, Death Guard with no blow drones, which are fast movers in the Death Guard list. Uh, it becomes hard for them to get quickly to my deployment zone. You can rack up a lot of points with that right away. But those are kind of specific ones. Um, since I've got the four fast movers moving out, um, if I think my opponent is going to be corralled up in their deployment zone or not match me uh, in my with my speed, I might take uh, engage on all fronts um, to come out uh, because those fast movers are jumping into quarters everywhere. All right. Well, uh, I was also wondering, uh, what is your general like game plan as far as like your CP expenditure? Like, I know it, it varies matchup by matchup. 
But uh, how do you, I'm sure like when you're going into any uh, matchup blind or when you're building the list, you probably have like a uh, roadmap for your uh, CP expenditure. Uh, is it like that or is it more like kind of a situational reactive thing for you? My CP expenditure is going to be very light um, because I only start with six CP I, between the two contemptors and all the extra warlord traits and relics. Um, I don't have as uh, much CP um, as I would like usually to, to spend on that. So instead, um, with six CP, I will generally try to save two CP uh, for a specific death watch stratagem, which allows me to grab a chapter tactic. Um, so I could turn a unit into white scars for a turn. The bikes move up 14, they assault D6. Uh, and then they can still charge. Uh, if it's a tougher opponent, uh, I'll use the two CP to turn a unit into Blood Angels. So they'll be plus one to wound um, in close combat. If it's a tougher type of target. Those tend to be the two. Um, you could use late game and it's very situational. You could use two CP to turn a Dreadnought into Ultramarine so he could fall back and shoot with a minus one penalty. But I'll generally only use that maybe once a game uh and it's usually a white scars chapter tactic to get my uh fast movers a little bit farther to deny my opponent primary then after that um i try not to use the cp uh too much at all be, try to be very stingy with it if there's an important re-roll that needs to be done like a charge re-roll i failed a three inch charge for some crazy reason and this this unit should needs to be in combat, then I'll just use it for that reroll. But I try tend not to use it too much for um, any of the wild stratagems, uh, especially from the Death Watch. I don't need to if I'm playing against a particular Xenos army. I don't always need to do the anti Xenos Death Watch stratagems all the time. Um, they tend to be more icing on the cake um, than anything else. Um, uh, if there's a particular grinding battle, then the 2CP to interrupt will be uh, also a very valuable stratagem, and I'll try to make sure I always have 2CP on my opponent's turn uh, to threaten with that interrupt. But really, that's it. We're looking at like maybe a White Scars or a Blood Angels once per game. Uh, if it's my opponent's got a good close combat army, then I'm looking to hold maybe two interrupts uh, during the course of the game. So use the threaten the 2CP twice. And then after that, it's just key rerolls. Um, if I've only got two wounds left in my librarian and he perils and I really need them, then we'll reroll that. But if he's got four wounds and he perils, he probably just takes the D3 mortal wounds and I'll try to save it for the next time. So I try to be real stingy with that. What I found is, because um, I mentioned earlier about Death Watch, um, I, the, me and the Death Watch go back to 7th edition and. Uh, that's when a lot of the new kit was introduced um, and it was not very popular. It wasn't very strong back then, but I um, collect, started collecting a lot of the, the models in the boxes. Um, and what I have found is a lot of uh, old time death watch players, probably the majority of the death watch players, even at play today, they really like the bells and whistles and toys of death watch. So they love the infernus bolt gun. They love the, uh, the frag cannons. They love the, the terminators that could be in your troop squads that have three missile launchers and five man squad. Um, 
they'll put the uh, heavy thunder hammers on these walking uh, veterans. Um, it's all like the, basically all the, the flash and the flare. And um, uh, that tends to be a little bit of a trap uh, points wise. It diminishes your resources that you can have in your list. And I think that also some of the stratagems for Death Watch are, are along that similar vein. Um, I don't think I always need to have the Necrons just reanimate on a six, you know, unless it's really important. But they don't, you don't have to keep having that go off over and over again. The uh, Overwatch on Orcs, uh, and if you kill one, then it's minus two to their charge. Um, that doesn't always need to be played every single time because that'll suck up through your uh, your CP real fast. And I think it's more important that the CP acts as a support to what your army is doing as opposed to the CP becomes the strategy uh, that you need to do. Like, I need the CP to do this stratagem because that is my strategy. Um, I, I think that's a little bit more dangerous than just allowing the CP to be a support to what your army is already doing. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I found in my own explorations with Death Watch was that um, we, you know, by definition, you know, once you start taking contemptors with a minus one CP tax, and then of course, you know, such a, a great, you know, wealth of relics and warlord traits, I found that we, we had to play the army without any mandatory stratagems. And once we started playing without mandatory stratagems, we actually had extra CP, even though we didn't have many to start with. And it became wonderful where all of these, you know, stratagems became situationally useful and we kept them in our minds, but it was never the plan. And, um, you know, that, that, that was really nice, you know, for both myself and Jack, because we were playing Death Watch. So it's really cool to hear that you kind of, you know, you arrived to that, uh, you know, that same mentality. And, uh, and I love the way you use it, honestly. Um, you know, it's my, a, lot, a lot of it. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. A lot of it is just almost the threat of the stratagem. I mean, you let your opponent know that, hey, I can do this. For you Eldari players, I can turn off all negative to hit modifiers. But you don't necessarily are going to use it. Uh, it'll change their behavior and it'll change their tactics just knowing you have it in the back pocket. I love it. My one CP question for you would be that you talked a little bit about how Death Watch has a lot of uh, mechanics to manipulate uh, their doctrines. And you know, I know you specifically called out how Death Watch cycled through them at a different pace than everyone else. And then, of course, the brilliant strategist warlord trait. Do you ever use either of the stratagems to manipulate doctrines with the Death Watch? So there's a one CP. One CP stratagem to put any um, Death Watch unit into any doctrine that you want. Um, if I, I think, like in the Charity Hammer prep, I think in five games I used it one time. It would be used early. The game is tight, and I really needed it. Um, but then when it starts to snowball, at least for my list, when it starts to snowball, or it gets into later rounds. I shouldn't say snowball. Then. Usually after turn two, turn two, right after turn two, the list turns on a dime, and it goes from being a shooting list to a close combat list. Um, by then, the kill teams are are the fast movers are well into the uh, enemy's lines, and uh, it becomes a close combat battle with dreadnoughts coming up behind, almost to sweep through if they make it as uh, the final close combat attack. So if the, uh, the one CP stratagem to put them into anywhere, uh, if that's going to be used, it's going to be used on turn two, if I guessed wrong with my doctrines. 
And I think that only happened one time uh, where I needed to use it on turn two. I mean, it's always nice to have in the back pocket, especially if somebody puts more things in reserve, really heavy things in reserve. Uh, nice to have it in the back pocket because it's just one extra extra uh, resource that Death Watch have to manipulate doctrines. And you don't always have to put it onto the contemptors either. Um, it could go onto the chainsword uh, fast mover unit uh, to make them all AP2, you know, just turn them into tackle or assault doctrine for a turn. Um, that's quite potent in and of itself. I love it. Um, honestly, that's actually super interesting to hear your answer because uh, if I'm being honest with you, in uh, my tournament with them, I probably used that stratagem two or three times a game where I would use it to keep my contemptors just running through Dev Doctrine. And then occasionally I would, you know, when I was actually in Dev Doctrine, I would uh, go ahead and, you know, tap a tap a bike squad into Assault or Tactical Doctrine just to get a little bit extra firepower out. But honestly, the way you're describing, you know, how you're playing the army, it, it does make sense not to use it. Um, you know, our, our lists, I, I think, were fairly similar, but I, I really like hearing how you played the army because there are some differences in play style. And that, that really speaks, you know, to me, to the flexibility of Death Watch, where we have, you know, you can take lists that, you know, have very similar elements, but just the way you use your options, the way you play the game and play the army, the the list can, you know, very quickly change to fit that. And you can change to suit what you're trying to do because Death Watch are just inherently such a flexible Marine army. Yeah, yeah. They're... Uh... I think they're a close combat army first and a shooting army second. I mean, just their basic doctrine gives them plus one to hit, or I mean, sorry, reroll ones to hit in close combat against Xenos. Now, I'm not always fighting against Xenos, but if it's chaos, just the basic um, uh, marine stratagem for chaos is reroll all hits in close combat. So uh, they can fall back on, on that one also. Um, a stratagem that I, if, if I'm playing against Xenos, and with the Orc Codex just coming out and uh, Dark Eldar was just released recently, there's more and more Xenos on the table. But uh, Death Watch Stratagem, which I used more than even the Doctrine Manipulation, was the uh, plus one to, uh, to the attack characteristic of everybody in the unit. So um, uh, Kill Team goes from having 16 attacks to 21 attacks. Um, with that, you know, this is just a five-man Kill Team. They all get plus one attack. Uh, it's against Xenos, but um, they're becoming a little bit more popular. So it's, uh, it's I'm starting to lean on that a little bit more. All right. I love it. I love it. Um, I think that was all the questions that I had for part one. Uh, Tim, did you have anything else you wanted to add on? Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that was an excellent, excellent part one. Uh, listeners, uh, if, that, if you are new to the episode or new to uh, our format, this is generally what you can expect. Uh, this is a perfect example of what you can expect. Here on this podcast and on our sister podcast, uh, Art of War Down Under, and also uh, Art of War Unbroken, and most importantly of all, the uh, War Room, where we have uh, coaches such as John um, break down almost every single army uh, via streams and clinics in the manner you just heard, and really ask these meaningful, uh, deep, insightful questions, uh, and then also play uh, stream matches. So if that sounds good to you, you can go over to artofwar.com, sign up for the War Room, and sign up for our sister podcast. And uh, sign up for uh, part two of this podcast, where we're actually going to go uh, deep dive into the matchups, and Fred's going to give us his thoughts uh, and answer some questions about all the, uh, pretty much all the meta matchups, and then maybe some of the matchups that we don't see as often. So, uh, Patreons and Art of War subscribers, we'll see you over there, and hopefully we'll see a few of you uh, new listeners as well. All right.
before we jumped out, uh, Fred, did you have anything else that you wanted to plug or anything to mention? No, just um, uh, I have been, uh, this will be my first time going to Charity Hammer, uh, but I was a full participant in my basement watching all the games the last uh, uh, three times they had it. They had it once uh, during COVID, but it was only local people. And then it was the two other times that John had gone. And I, I remember him, uh, I think it was your first year when you broke out the, uh, the Valkyries uh, in the Gene Stiller <laughs> cult. And and I, I mean, I'm just sitting on Twitch watching it and I'm, you know, the, the Twitch comments are like, what the hell are these? You know, and then you just light up, you know, your opponent with them. And it's like, all of a sudden, I think I see everybody clicking over to Forge World to get these things all of a sudden. Uh, but it's been, it's a great show. Uh, it goes on all the time. And, and my, the first year I won an army painter box, you know, 50 paints. It was fantastic. They just send it right to your house. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good time and it's very knowledgeable and, uh, the opponents are enjoyable to watch. So, uh, charity hammered first week in August. Uh, you should definitely check it out. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Fred. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. All thanks. Right. Talk to you guys soon. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. Theartofwar40k.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.